there's been someone on my mind the better part of this week. I won't share her name. It's really not important, and I don't have permission to do that anyway. But when I was a very, very young youth pastor, I was invited into the office to meet with her, her parents, and the pastor. Um, he thought it would be good for me to be there because she was in my youth group. Thinking back, um, she probably was a rising junior high student, uh, 12 or 13, something like that. She was born with, um, well, I hate to say the word, I'll just say malformation. Her, her skull was not shaped exactly right. It made her jaws um, distorted, which made her gums unhealthy and her teeth grow uh, in odd directions, made it difficult for her to speak and be understood. She was a sweetheart. She loved Jesus with all of her heart. And you know, that kind of thing weighs heavy on a child at any age. But she was coming to the point where she was going to, uh, about to enter some of those toughest years of a person's life, junior high and high school. Her self-esteem was way down, although her parents had done a great job. Her siblings had done a great job. She was everybody's sweetheart. But everything was a burden for her, every attempt to communicate. Um, she, she said to me one time, I get so tired of walking with my mother into the grocery store and being stared at. So they investigated the possibility of some surgery. We didn't know what their decision was. She came in, and this was not just cosmetic surgery, a little nip and tuck, you know, to make you look younger. This was going to be life-changing. She was going to look different. And they came in to ask for prayer. We're going to do the surgery. And this is what they said happened. I wish I could have been there because this made this girl a hero to me. She was sitting in the office with her parents talking to the doctor. The doctor even asked for the other siblings to come in so they could understand what they were about to do. He said, now this is what we're going to have to do. He said, we're going to have to do this, that, and the other. He said, for several weeks, your jaw is going to be wired shut. Everything you devour will be through a, a straw that will remove a tooth, and that's it. That's it. That's all you're going to have. And they talked about the pain. They talked about the swelling. And that he said, now I'm going to tell you, sweetheart, he said, you're going to look worse before you look better. And he went through all of the things. He was talking to her, not the parents. He wanted everybody to hear, but he knew this was her decision. And I will never get over the bravery of her, of her answer to what this doctor said. He said, this is how he concluded the conversation. He said, when we are done, you will have a beautiful smile. You will have a mouthful of healthy teeth and gums. They won't be red and bleeding anymore. He said, and you will have beautiful, beautiful speech. But the road that we must travel is incredibly difficult. And you've got to decide if you're up to the challenge. He said, I don't want you to misunderstand you're going to live and be healthy and have a happy life no matter what we do or don't do. It depends on what you want to do with this. And that little girl, and by the way, my definition of little girl gets broader and broader and broader the older I get. I, I called somebody a little girl the other day, and one of my daughters said, Daddy, she's got to be 30. I, I said, and your point is, you know, <laughs> This is what she said. She looked at her mommy and daddy. She looked at the doctor and she said, I'd rather be pretty than pain-free. 
And that wasn't an expression of vanity. She was saying, I'm willing to pay the price to be pretty, even if it costs me a lot of pain. I haven't seen her in probably 35 years or so, but indeed the surgery worked. She turned out to be a lovely young lady, and now she's a mother and, and um, a grandmother and is a, a strong, strong wife and, and a worker with her husband in a church. So proud of her. But I thought about that for the wisdom to come from a middle schooler. It's more important for me to be pretty than it is for me to be pain-free. Now, that, again, that wasn't a vanity statement. That was an understanding that I want to look the way I can look. I want to look the way I ought to look regardless of the pain. Loved ones, I, I want to tell you, I think that God is moving the church of the Lord Jesus Christ where we may have to make that same decision. We have been exposed. I say we, I'm talking about, and there are exceptions, of course. Uh, if you leave here upset saying, well, he was talking about me, you shouldn't because number one, I'm not talking about you. You should be upset because you're exactly the kind of person I'm talking about. <laughs> but there comes a time in the life of a child of God when we say, I'd rather be corrected than be comfortable. The writer of Hebrews says that no chastisement, no discipline seems good for the moment, but if you let it work, it will produce a fruit of righteousness and it will make you pretty spiritually, but it'll cost you. I do think that many Christians, especially in America, especially in the West, have done a great disservice to the people of God, telling them that if you'll serve Jesus, your problems will go away. Telling them that if you'll serve Jesus, you'll be fat and happy and everything will always be exactly the way you want it. And it's a lie. It's a lie. It's a categorical lie because the people that say we can always be healed still die. The people that say we don't have any issues are still mean over their issues they're still finger pointing they're still blaming because they put all their energy in trying to create a perfect life instead of letting the divine surgeon correct the dysfunction and the deformity of their soul let me explain to you what i mean in isaiah you don't need to turn to it but you can mark it down it's not in your notes in isaiah 28 uh, verses 9 through 11, setting the stage. Jerusalem is in a state of rebellion. Uh, it's, it's going to be a while. It's going to be uh, several decades, but they're going to be taken captivity uh, into captivity to Babylon because of their sin. The Assyrians have already uh, made a play against the northern kingdom and, and succeeded. And the Assyrians will be replaced by the Babylonians and they will carry Judah into captivity. Isaiah put it this way. He said, both priest and prophet err in vision and have stumbled in judgment. He said, you are where you are because the priest and the prophet, they don't understand that they're not really hearing from God. They're looking for ways to make exception to the scriptures, which is the hallmark of much of the church in the West today. We're trying to, to help God out, sending him to anger management to get him to calm down and be more palatable to the masses. And this is the way it's worded in the uh, uh, New Living Translation. It, it's, it's the right interpretation but it's not as clear uh, in some other translations. This is the response the people made to God's telling them, you're, you're not on track. You're not learning. You're not fulfilling the ways of the Lord. You've forgotten the ways of the Lord. This is what they say. Who does the Lord think we are speaking to us as little children? 
over and over, one line at a time, a little here and a little there, over and over again. See, I, I grew up thinking that was the way we were supposed to learn, you know, uh, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That was the motto of our Sunday school. You're not going to learn it all at once, but you can learn it line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. God said, that's the way I have to talk to you. And the people were saying, who does God think we are? We're the chosen people. We need some depth. That's why even if you're not being fed, you really need to be careful before you say, no, that church doesn't feed me. Because uh, that was initiated by this group of people that said, who does God think we are? He's talking to us like little children. And this is God's response. He says, yes, this is the way I have to talk to you. You're like babies fresh from their mother's breast. You've had nothing but milk. And you say you want more, but you don't have the heart for it. And so I preach through the prophets to you, line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. He said, you don't understand. You think I'm talking down to you, but you are educated far beyond your level of obedience. And it was a frightening thing. And this is what the Lord goes on to say. Because you won't learn, even though I break it down as though I was talking to new converts. He said, because you won't learn, I will speak with a language from another nation. See, I, I thought, you know, with stammering tongues and, you know, unknown, an unknown tongue and stammering lips, I, will, I thought that was a move of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to bring into your midst a people that don't even speak your language. I'm going to bring into your midst a people that don't share your values. Because even though you can't understand their words, you will understand their actions. And God says, I will judge you with wrath and with vengeance and with violence. And the foundation that you pride yourself on, which you have ignored, will be ripped away. Now, loved ones, that's a heavy start. That's why I let Corey preach for two weeks. Because I wanted to be sure I'm hearing right. I mean, that's part of it. I needed a break, but I really needed to be sure that I was that I was hearing right. I want you to understand that when we're talking about prayer warriors, we all agree God is raising up prayer warriors. But I want you to know two facts. The fact, first of all, is that if you really are praying as an intercessor, you do more good than you can imagine. That's the text from today, from James 5, 16, the last part of the verse. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. King James says it availeth much. Um, in the New Living Translation, it says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. But I also want you to know that if you're not careful, you will embrace a prayer ministry. You will embrace an attitude and the devil will do everything he can to wear out, to wear out the people of the Most High and, and surface them with a new perspective and a new attitude. My daddy used to sell recap tires. I, I think they only have them for big trucks now. But boy, you, my daddy was a big businessman in Pensacola because he was the king of the 695 recaps. I mean, you could go in, get recaps, get them trued. They don't true them anymore either. Balanced. You could come in and get all of that for $35 if you had the right tire size. And uh, boy, it, recaps were all the rate. And what happened was this. When your tire wore out, this was before the days of steel belts and stuff. When your tire would wear out, they would you, the dealer would keep them and they would recap them. They'd put new tread on them. And my daddy, who was known as the king of the recaps, basically one day said, you know, the day's going to come. We're going to have to stop selling these. 
because these tires are not designed to have this cap on them. They're designed for something totally different. He said, they'll work, but they're only worth $6.95 for a reason. Isn't that something for the king of recaps to say? Well, what we've done is we, we don't understand that the devil, uh, he knows he's not going to have much success robbing you of your faith, so he wants to distort it. He wants to cover it with something that ought not be. Um, the prophet Hosea said this, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And when it says for lack of knowledge, they're not talking about college education. When he says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, he, say, he is saying they don't have an understanding of what they're living in and what to do about it. To not know, I mean, if you don't know something, that's one thing. But in the scripture, to forget carries the idea of intentional neglect. They have forgotten, that's the word he used in the earlier chapters of Isaiah, my people have forgotten my law. He wasn't saying that they couldn't remember the law. He said they have chosen a way of life where they, as though it doesn't matter. They have chosen to forget. Now excuses can cause us, this is the scary thing, Loved ones, you say, Pastor, I, I think you're mad with us. Oh, no, 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 no. I am talking about the culture in which we're living. I, I want you to understand that. This is not an indictment of our church. You have to decide if it's an indictment of you. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sugarcoating it. I'm not saying that it doesn't apply to anybody in our church because God wouldn't have put it on my heart this way if it didn't. But don't, don't misunderstand. Don't don't take this in a way that will make you miss the message. And uh, I know that excuses can cause us to not see the real problem. We are in an age that I have never seen in my life where Christians are as quick to blame somebody else for their issues. Whether it's politically, financially, spiritually, I mean, we have entered a time when, and you say, what's happened? You know, what's happened? I want to tell you, the enemy has launched a devious and highly successful, and if I can say this without honoring him, a brilliant plan to get us to lose track of the understanding of the time in which we live. So what happens? They say the age of the church is over. Pastors retiring are at an all-time high because they can't take it anymore. People say, I don't need the church anymore. And loved ones, I want to tell you, I think the church is beginning to shine more than it ever has. But we have got to understand that the enemy doesn't want you to be on that side of the road. He doesn't want you to see what God is doing. Reminds me of Uncle Bud, a uh, fellow that, um, well, I, won't, I better not say who, Some, somebody I know used to pastor, it wasn't me. Uncle Bud was just, couldn't handle anybody telling him anything. Never, he, he couldn't be corrected. And he went out to somebody's farm. This was in uh, Indiana, I think. He went out to somebody's farm and there was a horseshoe that had just been worked on and was laid over to the side. And Uncle Bud you know, he, he picked up the horseshoe and just dropped it like that. And somebody said, it's kind of hot, isn't it, Uncle Bud? He said, no, it just doesn't take me long to look at a horseshoe. <laughs> Sometimes it's lack of being willing to honestly assess where we are. Sometimes it's just a lack of motivation. Sometimes... If we're just not motivated, we don't do what we need to do. i reminded of the story that Adrian Rogers told about someone in his church that was out hiking in Yellowstone, and he realized that there was a bear chasing him on one of the trails, and he knew that he couldn't outrun the bear, and he couldn't find a tree big enough to find refuge in, but he found one tree that might save him. But he realized the lowest limb was about 10 or 12 feet. 
and he was running toward it. He said, I can't reach that. I can't jump that high. There's no, uh, you know, I've never been able to dunk. I can't reach that limb. And he said, but Lord, just help me. Please help me. And as he started to jump, the bear was right on his back. The bear roared viciously. Could, he could feel the breath of the bear. And so he gave it his best jump. But he couldn't grab hold of the limb. But he did catch it on his way back down. <laughs> Sometimes what we need is just motivation. <laughs> Loved ones, I believe God is wanting to heal us today. If this is not true of you, the things that I'm saying, thank God for it and let Him um, uh, insulate you against this or inoculate you against this sort of thing because I believe that it is the work of the devil. And I want to just, it's, it's, this is not a complete thing today, but I want you to know that God has been introducing to our lives suffering and adversity and to help us not grow through suffering and adversity. There is a revival in our minds of this is your fault. My child's in rebellion because the youth pastor has failed. My marriage is on the rocks because the pastor's not preaching the right messages. Uh, my marriage is on the rocks because my husband doesn't care. I mean, we are being just flooded and deluged with a spirit and an attitude that says when suffering and adversity comes, <coughs> this is somebody else's fault. And we never think that it's mine. Like the children in Isaiah's day, we say, what does God think he's doing talking to me this way? God says, I'm talking to you this way because you've not learned what I've tried to share. And because you've not learned to share, I'm going to bring adversity and trouble with the hopes of turning you back to me. We are seeing battles fought in the church world and I really don't think this is a problem at our church, but we're seeing battles fought in the church where I do think the other is, uh, over worship. And, and worship is now no longer about his lordship. It's about our entertainment. We see the Lord speaking to us, calling us to a life of steadfastness and persistence steadfastness and persistence, steadfastness and persistence. When the Lord was describing His great love to us, He called it His steadfast love. He said it's a love that persists no matter what is happening on the outside. My love always stands. He said, I want you to have that quality. But what we're finding is that we don't have to look far to find reasons to quit this, that, or the other. He wants to heal us so that he can grow us up. I like what Mike Bickle said. Mike Bickle has been such a blessing consistently through the years. Mike Bickle said, I am often finding myself praying over a couple of things or several things. He said, my attitude is that God's only working at, for one thing in my life, maybe two. He said in times of real revival, I think he might be working on maybe three things, but most of my problems aren't being dealt with. He said, as I have taken prayer more seriously, as I have made prayer about him and not about me, I have found out that when I think God's not working on anything in my life or maybe only one thing, you know what I find out? He'll give me a list of 25 things that he's working on. And I didn't even know it. And loved ones, God has brought you and I to the kingdom for such a time as this. But what is important, and this is where I think we are going into the fourth year of adversity, 20, 21, 22, 23, about to hit 24. Um, loved ones, I, I'm, I believe what God is after is to teach us how to carry the load of intercession in very difficult times. We quote this and we make it so superficial, but the scripture says that a merry heart does good like a medicine. 
Have you ever really been sick? I mean, you were really sick, maybe a I don't, I don't mean terminal, I mean just like a sinus infection or something that just drained you and you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you a medicine and within hours sometimes that thing begins to turn and you begin, oh, I forgot what it was like to feel good. A merry heart will do good like a medicine can do good. But sadness and gloom and, and um, the opposite of a merry heart will dry up the bones. We've got to understand what Paul said when he said the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking. There is a big argument going on about what food was permitted, what this was prohibited, you know, what's what. He was, people were, got out from under a set of rules to just create a brand new set of rules. He said that's not what the kingdom of God is about. He said all those things were to teach, but he said the kingdom of God is not about your rules. The kingdom of God is peace, righteousness, and joy in the Holy Ghost. He says you've got to learn how to carry this thing called the Christian life. You've got to learn how to let God lift you and help you. Whenever the people of God, during the days of the regathering out of exile, when they were struggling with survival and, and getting back into the land and recovering everything that had been taken away from them, when, the, when Ezra began to teach the people, he had elders on the platform to affirm what he was saying. <laughs> and then he had Levites and other elders scattered throughout the congregation because they had been so disconnected that some of them didn't even speak the Hebrew language or Aramaic anymore. Some of them had been so indoctrinated in a culture that there were people that would be out among the crowd and they would translate into their language what Ezra was teaching and was saying. And the Spirit of God began to move. And God began to touch those hearts. And they began to weep just as King Josiah wept when he discovered the lost law of the Lord. And the people began to weep. And then a proclamation was made from the pulpit. He says, this is not the right response. You should be broken, but it's not hopeless. You should be repentant, but you're not cast away. Paul would say you we're cast down, but we're not cast out. Paul would say we're knocked down, but we're not knocked out. You've got to understand, you're coming into truth. And loved ones, when you come into truth, it's so important that you understand the implications of the truth. You, you, you can't sugarcoat it, you know, the... The guy says, sweetheart, what are the, what are the chances of me and you being together? And, and she says, about a million to one. So he says, so you're saying I'm one in a million. <laughs> or, or you're saying there's a chance. No, 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 no. He says, you've got to look at it realistically and loved ones that's what's lacking in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today more than just about anything else is a claim to knowledge but we forget that Paul said knowledge if it's untempered just puffs up but he said we need not only knowledge but we need understanding the men of Issachar had understanding of the times and because they had understanding, they knew what Israel wanted to do. You guys still with me? Okay. So what we've got to do is understand that we are at a point right now where the Lord is answering our prayer. He is exposing lies and liars. He is causing truth to rise up. I'm praying that He will help America, and I'm just localizing this. This is true universally that he would help Americans to know what to do because righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It's, so as we've often said, it's not about your politics. It's about your righteousness. It's about life and death issues. 
But we've, we've got to, to understand that God is bringing us to a place of revelation. Lights are beginning to come on. In this great darkness in which we live, lights are beginning to come on. Lights are beginning to come on. <laughs> but you remember how your kids reacted when you turned the light on in their bedroom, tell them to get up and go to school? You know, you turn the light on and they go, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Turn the light, I can't breathe. Well, their breathing's fine. They were just saying, this is very uncomfortable. Loved ones, the thing that will make you successful or unsuccessful is what you do with the light that God begins to, to shine into your life. The enemy is wanting to give us distorted ideas in several areas. I'm going to give you just three that are on my heart. Number one is about adversity. I told you there is a tendency right now among the people of God to do one of two things, three things really. Number one, because of the trouble in our life, because God is shining a light on our dysfunction, because God is showing us where we fail, we have a tendency right now like never before in my lifetime, and that covers a lot of years, I've, we have a tendency to just see people quit quit. We have a tendency to see people take offense. I've been here 29 years and I've never seen a time where there is as much offense, unintended offense, unrighteous un offense. Right now we, you know, somebody can say good morning and you say, what do you mean by that? Have a good day. Don't tell me what kind of day to have. Now, I'm exaggerating slightly. But loved ones, I'm telling you, we don't see it because it's been something that has just oozed out of the cracks since COVID. COVID wasn't the only thing that polluted our environment. And there's a tendency to quit, to take offense, or to blame everybody for everything so that we are the victims. We are the ones that have been done wrong. Everybody, the, the church isn't what it used to be. The government isn't what it used to be. The, my wife isn't what she used to be. And on and on and on and on and on. We are primed and breathing an atmosphere that says I can quit, I can get angry, and I can find somebody to blame. And God says, I'm sending you adversity because there are lessons you will learn in adversity that you will not learn any other way. And it's His mercy. God, uh, the enemy has attacked our worship. And what I mean by that, an attack on our worship has at its heart generally, and sometimes people just don't like the kind of music a church does. And you, you've got that right. But you don't have the right to do what a lot of people do, and that is trash the church and pick on Pastor Glenn. I mean, we do enough of that in staff picking on Pastor Glenn. But you you know, and again, I'm I'm preaching to the choir. You're not the ones doing that. You wouldn't be here if you were. But what it boils down to is that so much it, there's so much second guessing that the enemy has put in our heart so that we are not able to live a lifestyle that says yay and amen. We are now living a lifestyle that second guesses everything. Everything, and I'm not just talking about church, I'm talking about life. Everything is second guessed. Everything is, well, it, it would have worked a while back, but it won't work now. And he is attacking our persistence. That is a powerful statement in Daniel that the Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist that is in this world, we know that Antichrist is coming. The Antichrist is coming. But even now, even if the Antichrist is way off, there is a spirit of Antichrist that is working in the world. And there are false teachers of Antichrist. And the job of those spirits, the job of those teachers is to wear out the saints of the Most High and get us off track. I look at the children of Israel, and this, I believe, is the core of Israel's problem in the wilderness. And I believe it is becoming the core of our problems right now because this 
is what the devil has been working diabolically to weave into our mental DNA. He wants us to believe this because if we start believing this, then everything that God wants to do in our lives, almost without exception, can be crumpled and at least distorted. This is the thing that was at the heart of Israel's failure to enter the promised land. You say, well, they should have had faith. They should have had faith. Well, of course they should have had faith. But to really understand what it means to have faith, you've got to understand what it means to not have faith. And we, we have reduced not having faith to, well, they prayed for my healing, but I didn't get it. I didn't have enough faith. Or, you know, if, if we had enough faith, we could, we could do this, that, and the other. No, this is the core of their failure at faith. Uh, and it tells us in Deuteronomy 6.23, Moses said, he took us out of Egypt so he could bring us into the land. He took us out so he could bring us in. And when you go back, <coughs> go back into the story before the book of Deuteronomy, this is what happened. The people said, yeah, the spies said this. The land is exactly what the Lord said. The Lord didn't lie. The land is exactly as he said. Nevertheless, we saw giants. This was the problem. This was the core of unbelief. The devil wants you and will do everything. He's shaping society. He's shaping the government. He's shaping um, uh, the very environment you breathe for you to believe this. He was able to bring us out, but he's not able to bring us in. He wants you to believe that. He knows he's not going to get you to turn your back on Jesus. He, he knows he's not going to get you to say that God lied or, you know, he, he doesn't take that attack uh, track anymore. Very, very rarely. The, the, the further you've walked with the Lord, the less you fall prey to that kind of thing. But he is doing everything he can to convince every one of us, every one of us, me included. He wants us to say, yeah, God did this but he's not able to do this. Or God did that, but he's not willing to do the other. That was what kept them out of the land. It wasn't that they, they had the wrong confession. It wasn't that they didn't have, you know, overcoming faith over every issue. I'm thankful that God helps us even sometimes because of our faith, sometimes in spite of our faith or lack thereof. But if we can ever get to the point where we say, well, it's not working for me. It might work for you, but it's not working for me. Or if we ever get to the point where we say, God has left us. I, I remember the days when God did this, that, and the other, but I don't feel him that way now. Loved ones, you know that's not the problem with God. You know better than that. But I tell you, when we fall into that trap, it's because we've listened to the enemy's lies. We have not resisted <coughs> by the grace and help of the Holy Spirit. And we have subtly, maybe even without realizing it, adopted a mindset that says, yeah, God did all this, but he's not able to do the rest. He brought us out, but he can't bring us in. Think about that. He brought us out, but he can't bring us in. Paul said, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that. That means to preserve that, to fulfill that, to bring it to maturity. He is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. He said, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day of Christ. God says, listen, I'm not just the God who did something for you. I'm the God who will do everything that I promised. Let's just walk quickly through the rest of this. Four things to think about. While intercession... Now, 
No, I'm, I'm not going to. I will save that for another time. I, I can't get through it. Let me go back to plan D. Some say that intercession is the responsibility of all Christians. Uh, some say that it's a special calling. Uh, you, you don't find it listed with the offices or ministries in the church, but it's perhaps the office, uh, not office, but the function of a watchman. David Wilkerson constantly said, I'm not a prophet, though he was very prophetic, but he said, I'm a watchman. Some people confuse intercession with cynicism and criticism. You know, it, it doesn't take the gift of discernment or a word of knowledge to see problems with people or to see problems with the church. There are those that say the Lord speaks to me prophetically and they don't understand all they're doing is seeing flaws and speaking about the flaws and speaking about uh, the cynicism. Uh, other intercessors can identify a problem but do not ever identify with the problem. That's what touches me so much about Daniel. <coughs> In Ezekiel 14, 14, God talks about the depth of Israel's sin. He said, you say we have this, you say we have the other, you say we have this rich heritage. He said, I would tell you if Noah, Daniel, and Job were here. Uh, Noah, Daniel, and Job. God said, these are three especially holy and righteous men. That's why I cringe when I hear people say, well, you know, I, Job didn't have to go through what he went through. It was a lack of faith. God put him in the top three. Uh, we, we are so distorted on so many things. He said, if Noah, Daniel, and Job were to be facing um, such evil, they would be delivered, but they would only deliver themselves. He said, your sin is so deep he said, you have to stop blaming your ancestors. You have to stop blaming your parents. You have to stop blaming other kings. What are you doing, Ezekiel said, with what God has present, presented before you? I, I believe that intercession is the responsibility of all believers, and there does appear to be those that are specially gifted with insight, perseverance, and compassion to pray effectively and quantitatively. But I know this about intercessors. They are, true intercessors are people who, who pursue a lack or a dysfunction to its solution. They not only see the way something is, but they're going to stick with it until it's solved. An intercessor is one that God has found who will stand in the gap so that there is a pathway to connect what is with what ought to be. There's a gap between what is and what God wants. And intercessors stand in the gap. And a faithful intercessor overcomes the tendency to allow passivity. Now, I'm going to just touch on these. I want you to think about adversity. Hebrews 12.2 says he is the author and the finisher or the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Perfect doesn't mean in most instances of the scripture, it doesn't mean without flaw, it means mature. He says that God <clears throat> or Jesus is the one who gives you faith and he's the one that matures your faith. We tend to want protection, but he wants perfection, maturity. We are often more interested in God's healing than in his inhabiting. Christ will empower you and I to overcome trouble and adversity. He will protect and care for us, but He will not do that by putting us in a harmless world free of problems. He will protect, or excuse me, perfect virtue in us by developing character and requiring faith, and this creates the shelter of a transformed life. I asked my mom one time, she was the song leader, worship leader at our church. I said, what's your favorite, very favorite song? And she thought about it and she said, he hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. I said, why is that your favorite? 
song. And she gave me a testimony of how when overwhelmed, when sick, when destitute, when, when she felt betrayed, and the worst possible conditions, she said, God always led me to the rock. He, she said, he brought me to a place where it was just me and him. And she said, I don't expect you to believe this right now, but God has always taught me more in adversity than he ever taught me in blessing. He said, I, she said, I enjoy the blessing and I want the blessing. And the blessing is a result of following the Lord, but that's not the classroom. The classroom is that place of adversity. And the devil wants you to understand the opposite. That's why he wants you to be a victim. That's why he wants you to point the finger. You, you know, you, you've had people that come to you and, and um, their, their apology is, well, I'm sorry you made me feel that way. Or if it's the shoes on the other foot, I'm sorry you feel that way. You know, I, I told somebody one time, I said, don't waste a good apology. I said, if you want to apologize, apologize, but don't tell me it's my fault and that you're sorry I blew it. You know, we, we, we don't do that because adversity is the place where we learn. Now, here we are. He will force us into situations we think are demonic in order for us to look our problems in the eyes and be strong in faith. You know what is not uncommon? The disciples are about to go down. They're in a boat because of the command of Christ. They're in the storm because of the command of Christ. And here comes Jesus. And what do they say? They say, it's a ghost. What do we say? It's a demon. It's a satanic attack. We can't even see the higher purposes of God. We blame it on devils. We blame it on people that serve the devil. We blame it on people that act like the devil. He's bringing us to a place where in the midst of the storm, we look until we see his eyes. And then he says, it is me. I've orchestrated this. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Man, this is amazing preaching, Justin. Let me just say this about worship. David was first a worshiper of God. He was a warrior, but he was first a worshiper of God. Francis Frangipan said this, David did not pursue his, his enemies without first pursuing God. And we are being weaned off this silly doctrine that we have charge over everything. Jesus said, you know, you, people say, well, he said he gave us authority. You have to take all that in context. The reason we have authority is because we spent time in his presence and we're operating on his agenda. Number three, we need, we need to think more seriously about steadfastness. Steadfastness, the word used in scripture is the quality of being firm and unwavering. Chesed is God's resolute loving kindness, mercy, and faithfulness at the very core of his character and actions. Uh, Guidepost Magazine, I don't remember who wrote it, but it was an article that said, Steadfast describes the person who doesn't focus on the darkness of the difficulty, the gloom of the circumstances, nor the discouragement of your feelings, which are saying, God doesn't care about me. Loved ones, whenever you begin to feel God doesn't care about me or he got me out but he can't bring me in, whatever it sounds like, it didn't come from him. And it's not reality. So we need to connect with the idea of persistence. David said, I pursued my enemies, I overtook them, and I did not turn back till they were concerned, uh, consumed. Loved ones, I want to say this. I have seen this through the years and, and few things are truer. There is a curse on passivity that will open you up to all kinds of problems. And, you know, somebody asked me in a class setting one time, they said, what's the biggest problem? Why do some pastors have success and some pastors don't? I said, well, that's too broad a question because there's a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes what we call success isn't success. And sometimes God wants a pastor in this situation, not this situation. But I said, I know what you're asking. And I will say this, the thing that keeps us from fulfilling our potential, let's put the question that way. 
I said, the thing that keeps us from fulfilling our potential, it, it's, it's not that we married the wrong person or our church has a bad location or, you know, you got a bell cow that tries to run the church. It's, it's none of those things. I said, what makes one pastor fulfilled and one pastor not fulfilled is almost always a matter of passivity. Passivity. He does not lean forward. Now, sometimes he's going to fall, but when he falls, he'll fall forward. And it's the same in our lives as well. When the king asked for Elisha to help him conquer Syria, Elisha went through some motions. And one of the things he told him to do, he said, strike the ground with your arrows after he had shot an arrow. He said, these arrows represent the, the victory of the Lord over your enemies. And he hit the, the ground, uh, what was it, like three times? He hit the ground and Elisha said, oh, Three times, you should have kept striking. He says, right now, you're going to have three victories because that's all you persisted in. But you should have kept beating the ground till those arrows were splinters. And so as a result of your passivity, you'll have some victories, but you won't have all the victories that God intended for you. Oh, Let's touch on next steps and then we're going to go celebrate. Can you celebrate after this? What are the next steps? What do we need to understand? I want to ask you something, loved ones. At what point in your life do you feel paralyzed or suffocated? I'm not asking you to identify it to anybody, but whenever we get into this trap that the enemy, if, if we, depending on what we bought into since the month of March 2020, Depending on what we bought into, so many of us have an area of our lives where we feel suffocated or we feel bound or we feel paralyzed. Loved ones, God has not given us that mode of living. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. He wants you hitting on all cylinders. And what is it that it has got you so unable to walk in the blessing of the Lord. Now, I, I, I need you to evaluate that because God wants to set us free. And number two, we need to ask God for discernment. We need to ask Him for discernment. Um, and loved ones, you say, well, pastor, this has been a struggle. I've always had a struggle like this. Loved ones, you've got to answer some questions that God told me I had to answer. This was tough. This, this is soul searching. This may mean you have to ask your spouse. And, and that can be rough because they'll tell you. They've been waiting for years. My, my paralyzed spots, are, are my issues spiritual? We have a tendency to treat everything as a spiritual attack, but it's not a spiritual attack. Sometimes it's Jesus on the water, not a ghost. Are my issues spiritual? Number two, are my issues psychological? Have I just got some strongholds in my thinking that um, uh, have, got, have worn ruts in my soul where I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking logically? And when I say psychological, I may, it may be a way of thinking. It may be an imbalance. It could be a chemical imbalance. And you need to ask, why do I have this struggle. Is it spiritual or is it something imbalanced? You say, well, I, I, I'm, I, don't, I just don't believe that. Well, there's a stigma to having an imbalance in our minds. We'll go to the doctor for an antibiotic. We'll, we'll, we'll go to a doctor for a Botox injection. But we will swear on a stack of Bibles that we'll never go to a counselor or never uh, get involved in any medicine that could help us deal with that. Now, I, I grew up in a setting that said if you just spoke in tongues enough, you wouldn't have any problems. And I do believe in speaking in tongues, and I think that's more true than not true. <laughs> I really do. But it's not the cure-all. It's not everything. Uh, you need to ask, is, are my issues emotional or situational? In, in other words, am I carrying baggage that I've just never processed through? Is that what sends me tail spinning, you know, when some things happen? Um, or or what, you know, what, 
what about things that are situational? Well, I've got stage four cancer. That's going to affect your thinking. And it's, it's not always a spiritual attack that you need to deal with. Is my problem physical? Am I worn down? I will always be thankful that the Lord let Elijah's worst moment be seen. Nobody understands. I'm the only one that... And what God tell him to do? He said, get some sleep and eat some chicken. <laughs> People ask why preachers love chicken so much. Well, it's probably we want to get even with that rooster that told on Peter. He, he sold one of ours out. And we're going to eat every chicken we can. That's why we call it the gospel bird. But might not have been chicken. It might have been just bread like the Bible indicates. I mean, whatever the Bible says is true. But before God began to work Elijah out of that process, and we're going to talk about this some more, he said, get some sleep, drink, get hydrated, eat something. And when he done all that, he said, go back to sleep. Sometimes the best thing we can do to wage spiritual warfare is to go take a nap. Well, I knew I'd get support on that. <laughs> Please understand 1 Chronicles 12. The men of Manasseh, the, uh, it says they, under, they had an understanding of the times and they knew what Israel ought to do. Loved ones, God wants you. This is what he wants to do as he begins to heal you. He wants you to understand how this world is that you're living in right now. It's easy for us, especially people my age, to say, well, it didn't used to be this way. And it didn't. It didn't used to be this way. The world has changed. But I want to tell you, it's not going to be this way forever. You say, oh, you mean we're going back to the good old days? No, we're going ahead to better days. They understood the times, and because they understood the times, this was talking about bringing David to kingship, they knew what needed to be done. You see, loved ones, we are paralyzed because we don't understand what we're in and we don't understand what needs to be done. And then number three, they knew that they were part of a much larger team. They knew that Israel had to get on the same page. The devil has done a wonderful job of dividing the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, of making us think that the greatest spiritual gift we have is the pointing of fingers. You say, well, Pastor, I'm just upset with people. Well, make an appeal to them. You know, some of us need to learn. If you've got a problem with someone, don't do what you've been doing. Don't eviscerate them. Don't blow them to pieces. Don't tell them everything they've done wrong and then say, with respect. You've already voided respect. No, make an appeal. Paul told Timothy to treat the older women as your mother. Treat the older men as your fathers. Treat the younger men and women as your brothers and sisters. He said it's all about family. And loved ones, the devil has given us, you see it in politics. You see, it's, it's rampant in politics. You can't say anything good until you first eviscerate it. That's the politician mindset. God says, appeal to them as you would appeal to your mother, as you would appeal to your son, as you would appeal to your brother and your sister. See, God says you need to understand what's going on and you need to understand how to act and realize that you need those people that you're so upset with. And I want to give you this last thing. Repent of domination, manipulation, and control. This is a stronghold, and it's especially strong in the charismatic movement. Domination, manipulation, and control, and that is the quintessential definition of witchcraft. Domination, manipulation, and control. We have unrealistic expectations. We put our expectations on God. If God loved me, he wouldn't do this, that, or the other. My God, and that's not a use of his name in vain. I'm calling, my God, where in the world did we pick up the idea that we have the ability to judge God's character 
and to say what he would or would not do. You say, well, I don't like what he's doing. Hey, I'm just so proud I'm not a grease spot somewhere. I, I am just so thankful he lets me breathe another day. Loved ones, it is the height of arrogance, and Paul confirmed this in Revelation. The fall of man is centered in the idea that I don't like God the way He is. I will reform Him into my image. We have unrealistic expectations of God. We have unrealistic expectations of others. We have forgotten that our words that we write or the words that we speak or the things that we post have the power of life and death. We, we love to use that and say, I can get what I want because words have the power of life and death. I think when you look at that contextually, words have the power of life and death for the people you're speaking to, not for your bank account. You have the ability to change someone's world for the good or you have the ability to send them spiraling downward. Sometimes we have unrealistic expectations not only of God and others, but of ourselves. You know what I used to think? I used to think, yeah, it's not good to have unrealistic expectations of yourself. You can never measure up. And I've always had a problem with that. I always felt like I wasn't doing enough. But you know what I'm seeing now? I'm seeing that the unrealistic expectation isn't an expectation for us to do too much. The unrealistic expectation we have now in the church all over the world is the idea of I don't need to do that. I've done my share. I've done my time. So we have put an expectation on others that is absolutely unmeetable we have put an expectation on God that is absolutely wrong and we've put an expectation on ourselves that is absolutely powerless. I'm, I'm, I, I, it's grace. It's all grace. It's all mercy. And I don't have to do anything. I don't like rules. I don't like da-da-da-da-da-da. Lovewood, you've put an unrealistic expectation of yourself. You think that you don't have to do anything. Well, you don't have to do anything to get saved except respond. But we are created, saved by grace, through faith, and we are created and saved in order to do good works. Well, we're done. You just didn't know it. You say, Pastor, I, I got to process this. Well, do that. Do it. Process it. But I want you to know that you and I have a purpose custom made for us. This is what Mordecai said to Esther. If you remain silent at this time, protection and deliverance for the Jews will be ordained from some other place. <coughs> but you and your father's house will be destroyed. And who knows if you may have attained royal position for such a time as this. Loved ones... I'm not talking about you going to hell. Not if you're a Christian. <laughs> I hear him. And if you and I don't seek God with our whole heart, if we don't lean forward, God is going to keep His promise to the, concerning the kingdom. And He may bring deliverance from some other place. But that's, that's not the concern. My concern is not that God's not going to have enough help to get what He wants done done. My concern, Paul put it this way, he said, I am con so concerned, he said, after I have preached to others that I become a castaway myself. And I don't believe Paul was talking about, I'm afraid I'll go to hell. I believe Paul was saying that what God has purposed for my life will never be fulfilled because I lose track along the way. He says, don't let that happen. Remember what that doctor told uh, the young girl I was telling you about. He said, you're going to live whether we do this or not. You're going to have a long, healthy life, whether we do this or not. You probably have children and grandchildren, whether we do this or not. But is this the way you want to live? 
And loved ones, I just want to ask all of you is look at how you're living. And I'm including myself in this. I know we're going to heaven. I know we're going. God is able to keep us. Jude said he's able to keep us and prevent us from falling, even, even falling away. The question is, is this how we want to spend our lives? I want to understand the times. I want to understand what I need to do. And I want to do it with you. I want to do it with you.